Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Esther Faulkner, and I'm not here with my co-host. She has had a couple of, Hannah's had a couple of things come up in her life, and it's really busy right now, um, but she is actually listening as we're recording now. She's just watching her two girls. Um, so I'm here with a returning guest, Mike Hoy. And uh, just a reminder that Hannah and I are both particular Baptists who holds the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The Blue Stocking Baptist podcast is an informal podcast for women with intellectual and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. Hannah and I both have a passion to see unbelievers come to the faith, and so we hope our material will be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We also have a passion for equipping women with the tools they need to exercise discernment, and we desire to see more women understand and love the deep theology that is found in God's word. Welcome to part two of our two-part series on Roman Catholicism. On this episode, we will continue our interview with Mike Hoy, an ex-Roman Catholic who is answering your questions about Roman Catholicism. In part one, we heard Mike's testimony and the answers to your questions concerning the grounds of justification, the atonement, communion, Christ, tradition, and scripture. This part two episode will be more of the ends and out questions, questions concerning Mary, saints, purgatory, and the Pope. Keep in mind that much of the topics that we, we will be discussing tend to bleed together, so we may get on a topic on the topic of the Pope today. We might reference back to our discussion last episode about the traditions and scripture in the Roman Catholic faith. So Mike, it's good to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's good to be back. I really appreciate the opportunity. So first couple of questions kind of grouped together. We have, um, why do Roman Catholics pray to Mary and other saints? What scripture would they point to to support this at this form of adoration? Does the Bible refute the Marian devotion or devotion to other saints? Uh, what about, your, do you have any thoughts on Marian visitations, Mary as a co-redeemer? What's your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, well, um, so I have a lot of thoughts on all that, um, especially when it comes to Marian the saints. You know, this is a, um, it's an interesting topic. It, it, in my opinion, didn't really show up into the church until later. That being said, um, you know, regarding my experience talking to Roman Catholics regarding Mary and the saints and especially prayer and the way that they would communicate to them, it doesn't come up very often. And we really don't spend too much time on the topic. Um, however, it is a very, very, very important aspect to their faith and to their religion. And so, um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's important for us to talk about it. So, I want to start out reading like I did in the last episode, uh, just kind of two sections from uh, their catechism pertaining to Mary. So section 963 says, since the Virgin Mary's role in the, in the mystery of Christ and the spirit has been treated, it is fitting now to consider her place in the mystery of the church. The Virgin Mary is acknowledged and honored as being truly the mother of God and of the Redeemer. She is clearly the mother of the members of Christ. She, since she has, by her charity, joined in bringing about the birth of believers in the church who are members of its head. Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. Okay, 
That's the first section. The second section is uh, 2679, which says, Mary is the perfect prayer, a figure of the church. When we pray to her, we are adhering with her to the plan of the Father, who sends the Son to save all men. Like the beloved disciple, we welcome Jesus' mother into our homes, for she has become the mother of all the living. We can pray with and to her. The prayer of the church is sustained by the prayer of Mary and united with it in hope. Okay. Um, so I, I hope that section 2679 kind of answers the question, why do they pray to Mary? Um, but, but regarding the scripture points that, um, or sorry, scripture that points to this, that Roman Catholics like to use, um, I'm going to give two, uh, two passages, two scriptures, and the first one being Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, when the angel uh, Gabriel appears to Mary. That's a very significant verse that they use. Uh, and then John 19, 26 through 27, which I'll read real quick, says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. home. Okay, so <clears throat> what's interesting about this and what's interesting about Scripture is that we don't necessarily see any kind of adoration towards or for Mary in the Scripture passages, okay? What we mainly see when it comes to the Scripture passages is essentially... Uh, more or less the significance of Mary, which, of course, we as Protestants would also affirm and hold up the significance of Mary and her role in the Father's plan of salvation, right? And carrying out, you know, Mary being the bearer of Jesus, right? you know, and so forth and so on. So, so of course, there is a significance there that we would also agree with. However, when it comes to the Marian dogmas and doctrines within the Roman Catholic Church, most of this comes from philosophy, okay? And really, a lot of what we're going to talk about uh, regarding this episode, a lot of it does come from philosophy. Uh, I'll mention again that the, the, the Marian dogmas and doctrines didn't come until really around 600 AD, so... So we see the development of these doctrines and of these dogmas later in the church's history. Okay. Um, so that's more or less the take on, on praying to Mary and kind of the Roman Catholic significance of that. Okay. Let's go to saints real quick. Talk about them real quick. So uh, section 2683 regarding saints says, the witnesses who have preceded us into the kingdom, especially those whom the church recognizes as saints, share in the living tradition of prayer by the example of their lives, the transmission of their writings and the prayer, uh, the prayer today. They contemplate God, praise him, and constantly care for those whom they have left on earth. When they entered into the joy of their master, they were put in charge of many things. Their intercession is their most exalted service to God's plan. We can and should ask them to intercede for us and for the whole world. 
Okay. And, and so that sums up the saints really well, in my opinion, this, this section of the catechism and really the focal point for me when trying to understand the saints is the last part of that. Uh, this, this section, when it says their intercession is their most exalted service to God's plan, we can and should ask them to intercede for us and for the whole world. So when a Roman Catholic prays to saints, that's essentially what they're doing. They're, they're praying for the intercession of the saints in order to essentially bless them. Okay, for example, growing up, when my family and I would go, well, when we would travel, go on vacation, travel to family, wherever, wherever we were regarding traveling, we would always say a prayer to St. Christopher because St. Christopher was this patron saint of travel. And it wasn't a very sophisticated prayer. It was just an Our Father. And then we would just simply say a prayer of asking St. Christopher to bless us on our travels. What's interesting about that is we never asked Jesus to bless yeah. us on our travels. So, you know, um, that's kind of the unfortunate uh, side to saints, I guess, and praying to saints. Um, Jesus kind of sometimes gets the back burner when it comes to prayer um, and asking for intercession. So essentially what they're doing is by praying to, by praying to a saint, they're asking the saint to pray for you. Right. right? And also Mary. Mary. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Mary. But, you know. As a, as a mediator between, right. between you and Christ. Absolutely. And, and here's another example that I'll give. You know, I, I, I you know, in the first episode, I kind of, I gave my testimony. And one of the, one of the examples I gave was I'd run into my parents' room and ask my dad, why do we pray to Mary? And you know, he, uh, his answer was, well, when your mom tells you to do something or ask you to do something, what do you do? You listen to her, you know, and <laughs> right. And it's so an when we, mm -hmm, yeah, argument for that. right, it is. And, and so the, the assumption behind the argument is, well, when we pray to Mary, Mary then being in communication with Jesus would then have Jesus intercede on our behalf. So it, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. That's, that's a very uh, broad uh, way to put it, I guess, not very specific indeed, but more or less that is what is taking place. Um, and, and, you know, this just actually came to mind. So I'll give one more example. And, and this is more, I guess, tethered towards how can we, um, you know, how can we, how can we challenge a Roman Catholic when, when we have these discussions? And, and, and th this comes from my own personal experience and me challenging my own beliefs when I was a Roman Catholic. I thought, okay, so I have a younger brother and let's take, for example, when we were younger and I was out mowing the lawn, which was my role for most of my childhood, mowing the lawn. Um, you know, if I were to have broken the lawnmower and I was afraid of how my dad or my father would respond to that. And I had my little brother go tell my dad for me that, that there's an issue there. There's, yeah. you know, there's a lack of trust. 
right? There's a, a sense of cowardice almost. And really, dad, my father, would want me, the person who broke the lawnmower, to come directly to him and to apologize and to confess what happened, right? And, and, and so likewise, when it comes to praying to saints and to Mary, um, and even I'll mention when it comes to confession to a priest, right? It almost seems as if we're taking this, this, you know, I don't, for lack of a better word, coward way of mm-hmm. confessing to the father directly or to yeah. Jesus directly when we have sent him. Yeah. So it's anyway, having, that's just having, an example. In Ecuador, they call that having an in-between. Mm. You have somebody to cushion the blow. Right. If, right. If you were to mess something up, you have, you, you don't tell the person who you messed up their stuff. You tell right. the neighbor right. and the neighbor goes right. and Nice. so-and-so did this and they try to fix it and that's interesting yeah that's very interesting not as authentic and yeah. real yeah you know while while we're on the topic of saints i just wanted to read something from the gospel according to rome um it it has a little summary section about saints um and i don't think we have a question related to this but since we're on the topic of saints um the the fact that the roman catholic church what is it they they what, what would it be called a saint someone when they mm, declare right. someone a saint they become canonized mm. um as as this uh the ex-catholic who wrote this book says that the bible on the other hand refers to all true believers as saints by virtue of their position in christ they are sanctified in christ jesus um, saints by calling as for the roman catholic practice of living or of the living invoking the spirits of the dead, it has more in common with spiritualism and divination, uh, both condemned in scripture than with any other Christian practice. Uh, He references Deuteronomy 18, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 1. So I think that's a a good thing to point out since we're on the topic of of saints there. Uh, Absolutely. I'm really glad you said that. Uh, the distinction between the terms. Yeah, because we as Protestants would say us are saints, saints. right? (laughs) Whereas they, you're not a saint until you have passed. And yeah, canonized is right by the church, the magisterium, because your works outweighed your sin, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and, you know, you can use scripture. I mean, scripture is almost explicit on the definition of a saint right. when the word saint is used. Mm-hmm. And we can push that, mm-hmm. you know, on a Roman Catholic. Right. On our positioning. So uh, let's see. One thing I wanted to point out and uh, is that Scripture doesn't necessarily refute adoration to Mary or the saints. Uh, however, it obviously doesn't support it either, right? Um, and, and, and here's the reality of the situation, right? Scripture shouldn't have to refute the adoration of saints and Mary. Because like I said earlier, this is merely philosophical. This right. is something that they, 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 they take and they formulate outside of scripture something that really cannot be supported by scripture unless you really look into certain verses and passages and twist them and, and twist them yeah it's kind of similar to like in the in the mormon church how they speculate it's it's really just mormon philosophy about uh 
God living on a, on a planet, you know, mm. living on the planet Kolob. And I think it's one of those doctrines that even some Roman Catholics, when pushed enough, they're like, yeah, I mean, it's right. not really that important, but I mean, right. it, it's, it's definitely not big biblical. <laughs> right. Right. And we'll, I'll explain a little bit that I think in, in a little bit more in detail in, in a little bit, just kind of regarding really what, what binds the Roman Catholic to believe what, you know, they have to believe in. So, Just a little bit more that I, I found this, uh, the questions regarding Mary to be really, really interesting. So I did, a, we did a little bit of uh, research into this and really what we found was that scripture does describe Mary as a faithful servant of God. Um, even, you know, the angel appearing to her and saying that you, you know, that, that she would, she was blessed. Like that, that is important to note, but scripture does not say anything about the latter years of Mary's life. There's no description of her appearance, mm. of her virtue. Um, there's actually some instances in scripture where uh, the, the family of Jesus is lumped together and the family of Jesus goes and, and calls him a madman. We don't, you know, we can't really speculate as to say whether or not Mary was included in that, but we do know um, that, you know, it's very, it's possible. And since Mary is, you know, human, she had the uh, original sin and uh, she was not, she was definitely not perfect and definitely not with her being uh, married to Joseph. And we see evidence of Jesus having half siblings, uh, brothers and sisters, um, that she was not a perpetual virgin as the, the Catholic church holds mm -hmm. to. It's called um, Immaculate conception. Um, I found um, uh, a passage from the, it's written in Latin, but it's translated immaculate conception. Um, I guess it's verse uh, 260, and this is what they, they would believe. Um, we declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the most blessed Virgin Mary in the first instance of her conception by a singular grace and a privilege granted by the almighty God in view of merit of Jesus Christ, the savior of the human race was preserved free from all stain of original sin is a doctrine revealed by God. And therefore to be believed firmly and constant, uh, consistently by all the faithful. It also goes on, um, and says that, uh, she's absolutely free of the stain of sin, all fair, perfect, uh, she remained free from every personal sin in her life or her whole life long. Um, her holy innocence and sanctity are so excellent that one cannot even imagine anything greater in which outside of God, not mind can succeed in comprehending fully. So that just shows like the, the definite extra biblical, adoration for mary that i i've seen i've seen people like in response to that say if mary if if the true mary were to you know have knowledge of this she would say do not worship me <laughs> you know right. this is just it's it's very especially whenever you get into latin american countries or you visit mm. italy um it's very it's idolatry that's what it is mm -hmm. One thing you reminded me of is um, something that one of my 
good Roman Catholic friends, uh, you know, the, the missionary. Um, what he mentioned to me one time, which was very interesting, which by the way, y'all can cut this out if you need to. Okay. And I literally just thought about it. Okay. So I might not be able to articulate it very well. Okay. But what, what he told me and it's something that I think is going around in the Roman Catholic church that they really cling on to is the, the um, resemblance of mother Mary and the tabernacle of God. Okay. And they'll make a, you know, it, it's, it's, it's known as typology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Mary, I guess, is a type of the tabernacle or vice versa. And so even the, the holy objects that were placed within the tabernacle, they take and they relate to Mary. Okay. Yeah. I've, but, read, I've read about that before. Right. Yeah. But here's what's unique about this is when the tabernacle was no longer needed, what happened to the tabernacle? It was destroyed. It was useless. Right. And it was no longer, no longer needed ever mm -hmm. again. And so taking that and, and looking into that, right, there is like what you explained, there's great significance in Mary mm -hmm. and her role. Yeah. Right. But after her role was finished, there was no longer a need for her. Mm -hmm. And likewise, you know, the Roman Catholic church gets it wrong where they think that, yes, there is a continuation. There is a mm -hmm. need for her to have a continued role in yeah. God's church. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that, that that was interesting. I was just reminded about that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, according to James McCarthy from the gospel, according to Rome. And I'm just, this is a really great resource. Um, and he's very knowledgeable about the ins and outs of Roman Catholicism. He says that, um, it began with the, the adoration of Mary. It began in 1830 with the, with what became the first of a series of alleged appearances of Mary in various parts of the world, most notably Europe. Um, uh, supposedly, Mary appeared in France, uh, Portugal, Belgium, uh, and um, Ireland. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church then officially recognized all of those appearance, appearances as authentic revelation. And after that, uh, it, was, it was during, or I guess, those visitations to, uh, the, to the John Pope or John Paul II, um, that is when he claims that Mary uh, promoted uh, adoration to herself, um, which is not, does not even sound like the, the Mary that we see in scripture. <laughs> um, much less, I mean, we're, we're warned in scripture of, you know, even if an angel or an apostle were to come to you and, you know, preach to you a gospel contrary, she came supposedly to these Catholics in the, in the early 1800s and the late 1900s and said, start paying penance, uh, supposedly. Um, and we know where that got the Roman Catholic church. Yeah. <laughs> So our next question is, what is the significance of the rosary? 
significance of the rosary. Well, so from my understanding, uh, simply put, the rosary is a tool used for prayer and devotion to Mother Mary. Um, and what the rosary consists of is a, well, it's, you know, if you're not familiar with, with what the object looks like, it's essentially a necklace um, with a cross, um, with a cross hanging from the bottom. And there are beads that are associated with, with the necklace. And um, each bead is correlated to a specific prayer. And these prayers are the Apostles' Creed, Our Father, Hail Mary, and the Glory Be. The uh, prayer that said the most regarding the rosary is the Hail Mary. And the rosary is, yes, uh, more, it, it is designed for the adoration of, of Mary and seeking her in that intercession uh, for the believer. So that that's that's more or less the rosary. Yeah. Uh, to simply put, do you have anything extra on that? Um, I was just reading that some more of the origin of rosary yeah. was one of those appearances of Mary, and Mary mm, said, "Okay." Presented a rosary, rosary and said, yeah. "Start using this." Yeah. So that kind of gets into like the the mysticism and the symbolism in the Roman Catholic Church. We see, you know, you pass by a Catholic church and they're beautiful and they have mm -hmm. beautiful architecture right. and uh, the stained glass windows with the different scenes. Um, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes I've, I've seen some on some rosaries, they'll be uh, painted on like little images mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, on them. And, yeah. and that gets back to the, the symbolism there. So, um, Next question is, mm -hmm. uh, what is the doctrine of purgatory? Purgatory. <laughs> so this is a very interesting topic. In fact, it's, it's probably the least discussed topic uh, that I've had when it comes to Roman Catholics. Uh, purgatory also is one of those questions that I had growing up that I, you know, asked my, my dad. And I think the best way to tackle it again is to is to go to the Roman Catholic Catechism, and I'll read two sections from there. The first one being ten thirty says, "All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven." Okay, 1032 says, this teaching is also based on the practice of prayer for the dead. Already mentioned in sacred scripture, therefore Judas made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. Okay, one of the uh, passages that they point to, or at least the, the passage that um, inspired it. <laughs> yeah, right. And 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 what they where they directed me to uh -huh. in in scripture was 1 Corinthians 3:12-15 and I'll read that real quick. It says, "Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done." If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Okay. I don't um, see. I don't see exactly. I was just about to ask you that. Would that be your first thought? <laughs> no. That people, when they die, they're not in the righteous standing before God, so therefore they go to an alternative reality to purge away their sin. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. In fact, in nowhere in scripture can you find something so specific such as purgatory. Yeah. Again, it's philosophy based. Right. It's philosophy based. Uh-huh. Um, is, is purgatory, is it, is it a, I guess, canonized doctrine? Like, is it something like if you are Catholic, that is something like you, you need to affirm to be a good Roman Catholic. Right. So, yeah. right. So I'll, 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 talk about this, about this more specifically in a minute, but, but, but the difference between doctrine and dogma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, dogma is declared by the church, something you have to believe in. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. And yes, purgatory is yes, dogma. dogma. It's okay. not doctrine. Okay. And what would be real quick? What's an example? What would be an example of doctrine? That would be like, yeah. so there's a really good example okay. in our current age. Okay. Um, and so when it comes to dogma and doctrine, so doctrine is something that by the church, the church affirms, uh-huh. but you as a Roman Catholic do not have to affirm. Interesting. Okay. okay. But a dogma you do. If you're a Roman Catholic, you okay. have to believe this. So an example, there are currently four Marian dogmas. Uh-huh. Okay. Meaning that there are four beliefs about Mary that you have to believe. Okay. The fifth one is a doctrine. Optional. Yeah. It's optional. (laughs) And in fact, it's, it's kind of becoming a dramatic topic within the church because there are people pressuring the Pope to dogmatize, if that's a correct way to use Uh the term, (laughs) the fifth Marian doctrine. Okay. What is that one? Okay, so the the four dogmas that they already have that's affirmed by the church is mother of God, okay, sure. Perpetual virginity, mm, not so much. Immaculate conception, okay, big big issues there. And then literal assumption into heaven, uh-huh. okay. Um, the, the, the fifth doctrine that they want to dogmatize is essentially the co-redeemer, mediator and the advocate is the fifth um fifth doctrine that they're waiting for the current probe Mm -hmm. or whichever pope to dogmatize yeah the assumption into heaven that is where they believe that they don't believe that her body like was corrupted right it's yeah that she was like taken up resurrected yeah and well, I don't know if she died yeah, and was resurrected that, or was, not. but Yeah, it, her body did not see corruption. Right. Yeah, it was literally yeah, assumed in the heaven. You would think yeah. that would be one that would be optional over the... the right, no or, kidding. No kidding. So. All right, next one. Okay. That was purgatory, right? Yeah, and okay. somehow we got on Mary. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Next question. What is the role of the Pope? Uh, this one's a combined question. Uh, what is the role of the Pope? Do most modern Roman Catholics agree with the Pope or with the leadership of Pope Francis? 
And is the Roman Catholic Church heading towards liberalism? Mm. That's a big question. <laughs> yeah. Questions to chew on. It is. It is. But I, I like them. I like them a lot. So, as always, let's start with let's start with the Catechism, kind of define what we're talking about in terms, you know, of the Roman Catholic Church. So, section eight eighty two says the Pope or the Bishop of Rome and Peter's successor is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity both of the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church, has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Okay? One thing I would like to say and point out uh, especially coming from the catechism is the term here, vicar of Christ. Okay. Vicar stands for substitute and is literally translated as the substitute of Christ. Okay. That's a big, that's error. interesting. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. And to be even more specific, they believe that the Pope is the stand in for Jesus currently here on earth right now. Right. Okay. So regarding the Pope, okay, he has the privilege to do what is known as ex cathedra. Okay. And what this is, is uh, to essentially speak infallibly. Okay. And what this regards is all faith and morals and divine revelation regarding the church. Okay, and this is where I was going to talk about the four dogmas and, and the, the one doctrine that's left. Um, and they're waiting for the Pope and the magisterium to come out and declare that doctrine as, as dogma. Um, and that is, in fact, divine revelation. Okay, I believe. I believe so. Um, so regarding Pope Francis, the, the current Pope. Um, this is actually, this is actually very, very interesting topic, very interesting question, especially today and the current Pope that we have now. And I'm sure that's why they asked the question right. because they're somewhat familiar. Um, but yeah, there, there, um, there are a lot of issues with him regarding the Roman Catholic church. So to, I guess, give an example of this. Um, there are many Roman Catholic officials in the church who have written okay, multiple letters of correction to the current Pope on his behavior and the things that he has done um, in his position. Okay. And, and again, these are official letters from the church right. and uh, letters of correction on his behavior. So for example, um, you know, there, what one, one thing he did recently was you know there there was a um there was a child who had an atheist father and the kid ran up to the pope and told him about his father and that his father let him get baptized and the kid asked the pope if his father would be saved would go to heaven and the pope said yes because the father i guess had the faith to let his son be baptized 
the Pope said that he would be welcomed into heaven. Okay. And that upset some yeah. Roman Catholics. I mean, that's, that is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely astonishing that an atheist, and the only work he did was let his son get baptized. Probably so, I mean, he was a kid. Yeah. The kid, you know, he probably thought the kid didn't really know what he was doing, mm-hmm. first off. But an atheist be welcomed into heaven, someone who completely denies the existence of God, mm-hmm. especially the existence of Jesus and his sacrifice, yeah. would be welcomed into heaven. It's I almost mean, as if, like, it, it seems like for Pope Francis, uh, kind of similar to, like, doing proxy baptism in this case like the right. doing baptism for somebody else by allowing them to do right like a parent allowing their child to be baptized as a mm. form of faith which is really right such a bizarre especially when it example. comes <laughs> yeah especially when it comes to the roman catholic church and their history i yeah. mean that is absolutely unheard of mm-hmm. even within recent history for the mass majority of Roman Catholic history, that is, I mean, that is, that, that's just mind blowing. That is, that it, it is the, the Roman Catholic church, but in a way it does kind of encourage me that they're not just, Oh, Pope Francis, you know, not right. all of, not all Roman Catholics are like, Oh, that, Oh, okay. If you don't, all you have to do is make sure that your kids get mm, baptized. Right, and, right, right, right. You know, right, right. so that is kind of encouraging that some, mm-hmm you know, at least to see that. And maybe, you know, that's a sign that, you know, right. some will be let out of the church. Yeah. Now, one thing I'd like to say just regarding the Pope and, and something that we can kind of, you know, challenge Roman Catholics on is, especially when it comes to ex cathedra and this, this, this privilege that the, the Pope has is who and what holds the Pope accountable when it comes to ex cathedra. Okay. So, I mean, the, the Roman Catholic catechism literally said that um, he has this power over the whole church, a whole, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what he says goes, I mean, he has that divine authority and like what we talked about in the first episode, right? I believe that a Roman Catholic has to be honest in the sense that the magisterium, which the Pope is a part of, does in fact have more authority than scripture and tradition. But apart from that, where does this accountability come from? How does the Roman Catholic have faith in the sense that the Pope doesn't become corrupt? Right. Because you have the, you have the Pope creating the tradition and interpreting the mm-hmm. scripture. It's, it's, it's whoever's the Pope is literally that is their church yeah he leads i mean granted he has the bishops he has these hierarchical positions below him but ultimately he is given this divine authority Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's something that we can press in and and honestly it's it's something that with a roman catholic background it's something that i could not defend at all um but that's just a good, that's just something I wanted to to mention. So, so it <laughs> sounds very similar to the hierarchy structure of the Mormon Church. How you have the quorum of the twelve apostles, and then there's the head 
apostle, the president of the church, who kind of is very similar to like the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church in that they determine what is what is revelation, what new revelation, they reinterpret old revelation. That's why in the 70s, when the civil rights movement, you know, really took off, or, you know, it ended and, and we no longer had segregation, they came out and said that, you know, black people could have the priesthood. And it just so happened that mm. coincided with the right. civil rights movement. Right. So it's just like, it, it, it does very much parallel with, uh, mormonism and this the same kind of belief structure of you know how one attains salvation is through merit and works and the idea of purgatory kind of mirrors the i the mormon idea of the different levels of heaven where not in mormonism you can't if you go to the lowest level of heaven you can't work your way up and after you've died but you can repent in the afterlife and receive proxy mm. baptisms mm. um so it does very very much so mirror mormonism mm -hmm. which is very interesting it's it's the same it's like the same heresy different name right <laughs> <laughs> so uh to kind of answer the last part is is the roman catholic church heading towards liberalism um so obviously pope francis is, is certainly more liberal than than past popes i believe um but i would honestly be pretty you know incredibly shocked if their doctrines and dogmas became liberal in theology so you know it, examples of that you know would be the the marriage rights given to homosexuality those who practice homosexuality joining you know clergy things of that nature um probably won't see you know, women priests, um, things of that nature. I, I, I would be shocked if I saw the church um, kind of conform to the change of culture that we see, mm -hmm. which definitely seems like Pope Francis has kind of been influenced by. However, like I said, I mean, I, mean, I would be surprised, but, you know, that's, that's the issue when it comes to having – the, you know, a, a, a magisterium, so to say, uh, so to speak. So, you know, when you have people in such higher authorities, you know, what's to really stop them from taking a more liberal or more dangerous or a heretical um, positioning? Mm -hmm. And in my argument, I think the Roman Catholic Church started in the right direction but when it comes to tradition and the magisterium and the things that Constantine did, right, with the Roman Empire and so forth and so on, that it began, it began to verge off the right path and verge away from scripture, which is the standard of truth and right. doesn't change. So once you do that, you've already stepped into liberalism. Right. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's, I'm assuming right. the, the question about the liberalism is more so like uh, the issues of homosexuality. Right. You know, that's what I female ministers well. and that, right. um, which like you bringing that up that, that it hasn't gone that way mm -hmm. actually surprises me because yeah, like, I guess that would be like a, a 
uh, difference I could see with Mormonism, where Mormonism mm -hmm. is steadily, there's, there's becoming a lot right. more progressive um, Mormons who are actually advocating for the idea of allowing right. homosexuals to join the church and to be, uh, you know, leaders in the church. So that is, uh, I guess, a little bit of a yeah. difference there, which this episode is not about comparing Mormonism to anyway going back to the roman empire and the great schism you know people will talk about how there are two popes today okay you have greek orthodox mm -hmm. um religion or denomination whichever you prefer um and they are very, very similar to Roman Catholicism. However, they are extremely liberal mm. with their beliefs. I mean, it's it's transgender clergy, it's 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 marriage of homosexuals and so forth and so on. So um I mean it's they're very, very, very much liberal when it comes to um, you know, these these practices as compared to Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. So they, they have done a good job, I think, with staying on, you know, away from, from those ideologies. But who knows? You know, anything can happen. Yeah. Especially when the Pope is pro-liberal and as culture begins or continues down its path, the next Pope might, even, you know, might also be liberal yeah. in theology. So who knows? But um i don't know <laughs> i don't know possibly it's always possible yeah, yeah. Right. all right so next question um is the jesus and gospel proclaimed in scripture the same jesus and gospel proclaimed by roman catholicism yeah so this is another hard question um it reminds me of the the question from the last episode mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so my answer, I guess, is, is almost sort of similar. I would say, um, in some ways, yes. And, and in other ways, no. Okay. So and it's tricky. It's hard to say that because, you know, when you look, when you look at the Jesus of Roman Catholicism and you look at the Jesus of Protestantism, you know, we affirm almost, I mean, really the same things, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to like baptism, when it comes to the Eucharist, right? And, and did Jesus really say, eat my flesh or drink my blood? You know, no. I mean, it's not the same gospel. And I mean, you have to consider that gospel for the Roman Catholic because that is the way one is saved. Right. You know, if, 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 if our definition of the Roman Catholic gospel includes the seven sacraments, then no, by no means. Right. Okay. But when we look at the gospels in scripture, mm -hmm. I mean, reaffirm the same words that are found on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now interpretation in certain ways are, um, are yes, you know, different different right but um it's hard for me to answer that and and like what hannah said last time of course i come from roman catholicism right. family, friends friends. so it's hard it's hard sometimes to really 
you know, um, remove those barriers. But um, I, I think I think it I think it depends on our definition of gospel, right? So so the means of which someone is saved and freed from the bondage of of sin. Um, no, they're not the same. Mm-hmm. They're not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we read Jesus in the four gospel accounts of him, um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're pretty close. Yeah. That's like, you know? so like, it's, it's easier to evangelize to a Roman Catholic who first has an Orthodox understanding of the Trinity than mm-hmm. to trying to evangelize sometimes to a Mormon who has right. polytheistic mm-hmm. Um, understanding and believes in many gods and that Jesus is one God among many Mm -hmm. and and a lesser God than God the Father. So that is like a, by definition, strictly definition, uh, the Jesus of Roman Catholicism is correct. But then whenever it gets into more practical things, the Jesus they proclaim is not sufficient enough. His work is not sufficient enough to save them his work you have to do he worked and then you have to do your part and the like you said they have the same gospels and even in including the apocrypha in their scriptures it's in there but they would not look to that and say that's the good news of what jesus did that's not what saves you in a sense they may say that it does save you but that is not truly right what they what they're believing if if they're holding to Roman Catholicism, like you said, the seven sacraments. Right. So it's 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 there, but yeah. it's not what is presented as uh, as as the truth. No. Uh, so that's why I think last time we we kind of landed on the 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 answer of our mm. Roman Catholics Christian. Yeah. It, it's possible right and we have hope that they are or that there are we know that there there is god's certainly capable of saving people in the roman catholic church who stay in the roman catholic church but when we compare christianity to orthodox roman catholicism what the pope has right taught it's different right uh, so there's there's hope in that that god can save people in that by you know revealing the the gospel and and who jesus is through that um so that's 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 my hope is is that people who you know are in that in that church are are still being saved even Mm -hmm. even if there's no missionaries there they are being you know the gospel is being proclaimed to them if they're you know just coming through the scriptures of you know talking about jesus they might not know the catechism so there is some hope there, I think. Right. Right. All right. So that is the, that is all of our questions that our listeners asked. So Mike, we wanted to give you the chance if there's anything that you'd like to bring up that we, that you didn't get asked about, about Roman Catholicism. If you'd like to share that now, we would love that. Awesome. Yeah. I, there, there are two things um, that I would like to just kind of bring up and mention because it's, 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 well, the first thing just kind of for knowledge sake and understanding. And then the second is, is oftentimes presented by Roman Catholics as a challenge to us. Uh, something that I think would be pretty beneficial for us to kind of talk about briefly. 
So the first, I, I've mentioned a lot about the church being founded in around 325 AD. So I just kind of want to give a little bit of details, more details about them, what I mean. So the church about 300 years later after the death and resurrection of Christ, right? We have the Roman empire and Constantine becomes the first Christian emperor in Rome. Okay. In the Roman empire. And I believe the empire is, was split into two empires at the time. And the other guy was, um, was a, uh, a pagan. And at the time, Rome was hugely pagan. Okay. And so Constantine, right, he you know, goes to war with the pagan empire emperor and he wins. And so he becomes that, the emperor of Rome. All of Rome. All of Rome. Okay. And what happens is, is him being the first Christian emperor in a pagan empire he has to figure out ways in which to kind of have these people adopt and warm up to this new Christianity. Okay. Now here's where two things kind of occur. Okay. A lot of people will point to a lot of the practices within the Roman Catholic church, such as Mary adoration, the, the Eucharist and eating flesh and drinking blood, um, I believe saints and, and they take a lot of these things and they'll point to the different pagan practices that were taking place in Rome uh, that Constantine kind of implemented and combined with Christianity to have people come into Christianity. Now, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure the extent of all that. Uh, however, I've read a lot of very compelling arguments regarding that. However, what I do know that he did. Um, and what I like to press on Roman Catholics is his implementation or really his, his merging of religion and government. Okay. And during this time we see the establishment of bishops, which were heavily used as pagans in the Roman Catholic church at the time under Constantine. Okay. We see the, the classic um, design of the church, right? I forget now what the name is. It starts with a C cathedral. cathedral. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> that was actually a, a pagan design that was adopted. Okay. And by combining religion and government in the state of, of the Roman empire, Christianity became extremely powerful. Okay. And that's where I believe the corruption came into Christianity and thus began the Roman Catholic church. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, that's a very, yeah. very, just not very detailed explanation of what I mean by that, but it's the basics. This is yeah, basics, basics, right. <laughs> right. So, but one guy that I learned a lot of information on, uh, he's found on YouTube. His name is Ryan Reeves, um, Ryan and then R E E V E S. And he, he is Protestant, but he does a phenomenal job, um, 
explaining church history and he goes into the different heresies that take place he talks about the schism and, and the, the, the the divide within the roman empire that created greek orthodox and then the roman catholic church um i mean it it's great it's good stuff and anyway i just wanted to mention that and kind of give a little bit of details of what i meant by the the founding of around 325 a.d because they'll, they'll say that well our church was founded on peter like we talked about, yeah. you know, last yeah. time. So uh, I say not so much. I say uh, 325 and here's why. So um, anyway, the second point I wanted to make was oftentimes when we talk to Roman Catholics, they, they like to bring up the denomination argument. Okay, so they like to press on the fact that we have thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations. Mm -hmm. Okay, I find that to be quite a interesting, interesting argument that they push on us, and 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 I'll give two reasons why. The first being that there aren't really thousands and thousands right. and thousands of denominations. Okay, we can go to anywhere in the Bible Belt you know, go to some random church and they'll consider themselves their own denomination. Yeah. Okay. I consider, you know, the broad spectrum of, you know, or sorry, not the broad spectrum, but more the specific spectrum of denominations to be, you know, the reality of our denomination. So yeah. what I mean by that is, Baptist, you know, you can even say Southern Baptist, you can say, for, you know, Reformed, but, and you can go, you, you know, you can talk about uh, Presbyterians, um, Church of Christ, you know, we have these different denominations, and then underneath those denominations are really sort of independent churches right. that take root, right? But a lot of these independent churches are Baptists, are Primitive Baptists, are First Baptists, are Southern Baptists, and, and, I personally don't consider that an independent denomination. Yeah. Okay. And I push back and I challenge that. And I really ask them, does that make sense? Right. When they affirm the same thing that 90% or let's say 70% of these quote unquote denominations, mm -hmm. is that really a denomination? No, it's not. Okay. But that's my opinion. They can have their own opinion if they want, you know, and they can say we have 24,000 denominations, but I say that's absolutely ridiculous. And yeah. let's be real here. Okay. The second point is even within the Roman Catholic church, there are these things known as rights. Okay. Roman Catholic rights. And what that is, is essentially more or less literally a denomination within their own church that the magisterium approves of. Mm -hmm. Okay. So around the world, there are different rights that the church affirms they can practice in a certain light. So like we talked about earlier, uh, before we started recording, you know, there's a Latin American right where mm -hmm. it is heavily, heavily influenced uh, and focused on the adoration of mother Mary. Yeah. Right? right. And, and it's, it's, it's there, there are other rights where priests can be married. Yeah. Really only, I know in America, priests cannot be married. In fact, they're actually talking about reversing that. An but another yeah. right that I, I've seen in the United States is also like the, and Hannah and I have talked about it before and you might've seen a little bit on it on, 
on uh, the documentary American Gospel mm. um, when there was the there's it seems to be that there's a group of Roman Catholics combining with some charismatics and like mm, almost right. forming like a new yeah. maybe a new right in, right in parts of North America uh, that kind of charismatic Roman Catholic I mean right. they're not completely you know separated from each other with the mysticism in the Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. um, but that's just another another branch that I see kind of forming uh, right. is, is that charismatic Roman Catholic which is an odd mix it is it is yeah yeah but anyway those those are two points that I just kind of wanted to make there cool. that I often hear and, and think about so all right well that is all of our questions thank you for adding those two points um just some more good resources we're going to mention the i don't know why i keep saying we're because it's just me because <laughs> hannah is not here <laughs> um all right so we have a couple of good resources we mentioned them on the last episode but i'm going to mention them again in case you didn't hear the first uh recommended resources and that is uh two books are you or i'm sorry are we together by rc scroll and the gospel according to rome by james mccarthy and then we're also um, gonna link uh, mike's uh, created a really good document that lays out the differences between roman catholicism and protestantism we linked that on the first episode we're going to link it on the second episode as well and mike we're so glad that you joined us today for the podcast even though it's just me uh, and thank you for taking the time to try and answer all of our our listeners ins and out questions absolutely again i really appreciate the opportunity it's something i'm passionate about i hope it uh hope it builds up and and is edifying to everyone who listens our hope with our podcast is to stir in women a love for good theology and to encourage women in their faith as they walk in obedience and grow in holiness. We want to remind everyone that our podcast is only a tool and it is not a church and it does not replace discipleship. We encourage all of our listeners to find a local church and become a member. We have resources on our website for those who are seeking a church, and we are always happy to help anyone who is struggling to find a healthy church. Just send us an email at thebluestockingbaptist at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, The Blue Stocking Baptist, or on Twitter, SheBaptist. Thank you, ladies, and God bless.